Hi, I'm Jacqueline Freeman. And I'm Sarah Korn. You're listening to Kitchen Table Alchemy, living in full color. This is a podcast for people who see and spread the magical in everyday life. All right, well, next we wanted to talk about the subjects of judgment and blame. And this is something we want to address early in the podcast because I know for me personally... Neither of us ever do it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. What about you guys? Oh, never. <laughs> only, only losers do that. Come on. <laughs> okay, so go ahead. <laughs> no, so... So, uh, but in all seriousness, it's been of all the habits that I've adopted or changed over the years, catching myself judging and then going out of that and looking at it from a place of non-judgment has had just a huge impact on my life. I mean, I, I just live a much less stressful life. Yeah. Because I'm not judging people as much because what happens is that when, when you judge someone, you're expecting them to act in a certain way. And then when they don't act in the way that you think they should act, then you get upset. Yeah. And so it's allowing other people and what they're doing to control how you feel. So true. And and then, of course, they pick up on the fact that you're upset with them. And then that damages the relationship as well. Yeah. So... Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, if there's one thing that I could recommend to people, change this one thing in your life, it's stop judging yourself and other I people. I was just going to ask, yeah. like, have you noticed a difference in how that impacts how much you judge yourself or how you had to look at judging yourself to be able to not judge others? Like what relationship did you see with that? Like which came first kind of yeah, thing? Yeah. Or how did they, how did they, hmm. what was the relationship between those two things? You know, I don't really remember. I I think they happened roughly around the same time. And and I know one thing that a lesson that I had had previous to that was learning to love myself and and I think that was sort of the beginning of it for me was going, well, well yeah, shouldn't I love myself? I mean, I love other people and shouldn't I love myself too just as much as I love someone else? And so that got me, once I got into a more neutral place towards myself where I wasn't judging myself, where I was uh, giving myself a break, you know, for not being perfect, that definitely, I think, did help me be less judging towards other people because then I could see them as someone who's deserving of compassion. Well, I don't know if, I'm not sure which comes first, the seeing them as deserving of compassion or deciding not to judge. I mean, those Mm. things I think kind of go hand in hand hand too. Um, and so it's kind of like, have you heard that, um, you know, when you, when you're happy, you smile, right? It's just a natural thing you do. Well, it can go the other way around too. When, if you're not necessarily feeling happy, but you want to feel happy, you can smile and after a few minutes, that act of smiling, it sets off these hormones and things in your body that tells you that you're happy. Well, I'm smiling, so I must, so be, I must happy. be happy. Amy Cuddy <laughs> has done a lot of research around that, and we'll totally have to do a segment. We can okay. do a whole segment <laughs> just, on, just on Amy Cuddy's research. <laughs> it's fantastic. But okay. yeah, I know for myself in that 
in that journey with judgment, right? Um, I used to say like, well, I'm not expecting anything different from them that I would expect from myself. Oh. And, and I realized probably around 30, I guess, maybe late twenties, but I, I realized it just meant I was being an asshole to everybody. (laughs) Including yourself. Including myself. (laughs) I realized like nobody got any grace and mercy from me, you know, including myself. So, um, so that's when I had to like I had to pull off of that a little bit, right? And realize that my judgment of other people was actually stemming from the judgment of myself. I judged me and then I was judging other people the same way I judged myself, right? So um so I called that like escaping hypocrisy or something, but um in reality it just meant I was horrible to, <laughs> to everybody. And um I'm a big uh comparative religion junkie. I love stories and I love sacred stories and um and it's really interesting the story of Lucifer's fall in Islam fits into this really well. And that the that story helped me snap like make my next big move in that journey with judgment. Um, in the, the biblical story, which a lot of people may are probably more familiar with, um, Lucifer is thrown out of heaven for not obeying God. Like that's all we know is he was thrown out of heaven because he, he raised up against God. But in the Islamic version, and they call him Iblis, but I'm pretty sure it means the same thing. Lucifer means light. I didn't even know light. that Lucifer was in Islam. The, the- yes. <laughs> well, they have the same prophets and things like this. So it's really like the Quran is really like the emotional backstory to the Bible. It's really interesting. Like the Bible oh, really? gives us kind of like skeleton, very dry. This happened. This person begat that person. This happened. Right. So it's this really dry kind of timeline. Um, and it moves like marches forward very linear, 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 you know what I'm trying Linearly? to say. Thank you. <laughs> no one can say that today. Whatever. We should like have a, a something for when we can't say words. And so, um, <laughs> but so it, it moves in a straight line and the, the Quran gives the emotional backstory to a lot of the things that happen in the Bible. And it mm. moves in this kind of, it'll be going along out on a certain theme. And then it kind of takes this little side route, like, Oh, did I tell you the story about, and it goes off and tells this story about that theme and then comes back the next way. So huh. it moves in this very feminine kind of way. It's really interesting. And, and it gives a, a lot of the emotional backstory. So in, they, they call Lucifer Iblis. Lucifer means light. So Lucifer was made from light. <clears throat> so he's not an angel. He's a light being, right? Um, and in the Islamic version, God had made human beings and brought them in front. And the angels, when, he, when, when God was making the humans, the angels were like, what are you doing? Like, why would you make these things that are going to spill blood and cause all these problems? And like, we spend all day singing your praises. Like, what's going on? That's crazy. And God said, I know what you don't. Right. So he created the earth for human beings to live on. So the earth was never a punishment in the Islamic version. He created the earth for the humans to live on. And after he had made the humans, he brought them in front of the angels and Adam, which means breath, recited the name to all things. Right. And there's a big mystical meaning behind that as well. But once he had recited the name to all things, then God told the angels to bow to humans because they were to be in service to human beings and Iblis or Lucifer refused to bow. And the story is that he said that is made of mud 
and I am made of light and I'm not bowing to mud, right? So that's the story there. And um, there's apocryphal stories that Lucifer said, well, I vowed to only only praise God and worship God, so I wasn't going to worship human beings, right? But the story is, that's that's mud, I'm light, I'm not doing that, right? So God's like, okay, well, that's your choice, but you got to leave if that's what you're going to do. So Lucifer left, took several of his buds with him, right? And upon leaving, vowed to prove that human beings were not worth the honor that God had bestowed upon them. So once I heard that story, that was like, whoa, suddenly I started realizing that whenever I fall into this narrative or this belief of, oh my God, what is wrong with people, right? Mm-hmm. When I start falling into that, then I'm in, da- I'm in a dangerous space, right? Because then I'm in alignment with this, this energy that hates human beings and wants us destroyed, basically. And is trying to prove that we're not worthy. Right. Right. And suddenly me kicking on myself takes a much deeper meaning, right? Me buying into beliefs and narratives that think that human beings are corrupt or terrible or awful takes on a different meaning, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it got me to become much more vigilant about how I talked to myself, how I thought about myself, how I treated myself. And lately I've been, I've been really seeing this you know, I, I did media studies as my, in my graduate work, so I, I saw it then too. But with social media and the exposure that we have to that all the time, it's that much more important, I think, to really pay attention to the messages. Yeah, well, because on social media, it's so easy, uh, or just anywhere online, it's so easy to just sort of whip out these judgmental statements towards people, and there's not the same kind of repercussions and. You know, when you say stuff online, especially if it's under a, a a handle or something where they don't know who you really are, people can just say whatever and there are no social consequences. Right. Like in a real community where people know each other, you, you have to be careful what you say or you're going to damage your relationships and your reputation. But online, people can get away with saying yeah. um, things that are a lot more judgmental. It's really become like the, the two-minute hate from um, George Orwell's 1984, right? So um, in I, that book... <laughs> you, yeah, you'll have... I was going to say, please remind me, because I did read that book a while back, but I don't remember. I know. Many people were tortured with this book in high school. <laughs> I was one of the weirdos that thought it was awesome. I don't, Me and dystopian novels. Like, give me a dystopian novel and... <laughs> but um, so in 1984, they have these two-minute hates where um, they'll stop the workday and, and show images of somebody that everybody just... And people will scream and yell. And, like, it's, like, almost this riot, right, for two minutes. And then the screen goes blank and people go on with their day, right? So really, <laughs> well, really surreal. And, of course, in the film, it's... Or not in the film, but in the, in the book, right? It's so, like, what? Because it's, like, this temporary insanity, right? There's right. this one scene where the main character is coming through just as they're starting a hate... And and it's shocking to see people like, Rah! you know, screaming and yelling and, and all this kind of stuff. And then the minute the screen goes down, everybody's like calm and back to normal again. Right. So wow. it's in that context, the explanation is it's kind of like this, this um, 
release valve in some uh-huh. way. That's what how I interpreted it. Now I remember it now that you're talking yeah. about it. And I thought, oh, that's like you get two minutes to express your true emotions and the rest of the time you have to be a good like, citizen. Button and, it down all right. the time. Yeah. But I, I'm really I'm really I, I think about the two minute hate a lot. And each camp has their own figure that, that they show on the screen of yes, oh, look at this that person. gets them to just yeah. start. And I'm surprised. I mean, out. now we have like news networks, and I I use the word news there kind of loosely, um, but that's how um, you know that's like what they do basically is just yeah. that you know there's each political party has their show that's slanted towards you know what they right. believe and and hate on the people that they don't like and and I don't know that just blows me away that that I don't know that it's accepted. Yeah. I I think it, I mean, it touches this very primal place in us. Mm -hmm. Right. But I think, um, it's, it's important for us to kind of wake up from that and realize what's happening. Right. Um, and see that, um, and I remember hearing, um, a scholar when I was living in Utrecht, um, in the Netherlands, there was a scholar that had done all this work about the scapegoat and was talking about how the scapegoat was a necessary social mechanism um, because it relieved all this uh, like psycho-emotional tension within the villager. <laughs> um, and as someone that's committed to social justice uh, and probably had lots of my ancestors burned at stakes, like I just I have a major problem with that. You know, yeah. like no, th- then you need to find another way, right? Like obviously. It didn't work because in another three years you have to do it again, right? Right. Because that's what they talked about was like this, it's a cyclical thing. It's going to come back up and the tension builds and then they find another person to, you know, to, to hurl all that at. But, but the, the truth is if you're, if you're blaming a scapegoat, you're not actually fixing the problem. Right. Well, and also too, what it does is it, it allows people to escape responsibility yeah. and it, it any and even in ways you would think that um responsibility wasn't even the issue like for you know previously when we talked about the news and how i didn't like to watch the news because and one of the reasons was i felt that i there was nothing i could do about what was going on in the world and you know my response to that was you know what i'm just gonna ignore it i'm not gonna deal with it um but for other people the solution is I'm going to blame the people who are at fault or who aren't doing enough or, you know, something along those lines. It's, it's, they're expecting someone else to come along and make things better and solve the problems. And there's no one who can solve all the problems. Right. And, and so it's a way of saying, Hey, you should be doing this and you're not doing a good enough job. Yet at the same time, there's that sense within of, I'm not doing a good enough job. I'm not saving the world or changing things the way I should be. Because I think that people, interestingly enough, tend, it's kind of, we probably should do a whole nother thing just on responsibility and and taking it and not taking it and all that kind of thing. Because um, there's just, there's this whole dynamic of, yeah. I don't know. I, I lost where I was going, going with that. Well, but the, And the shame, <laughs> like the shame and blame, I think that connects really closely to the judgment, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
And shame and blame is, those are mechanisms of the ego. And the ego is always self-destructive. That's what it does. It's eating its own tail. The ego is always self-destructive. Which is ironic because what the ego is, its purpose is really to protect you. Right. But in trying to protect you, it overprotects and actually ends up having the opposite effect. Yeah. Yeah. It is self-destructive. That's what it does. It is self-sabotaging. It is self-destructive. And when we're in that shame and blame space then we're operating out of an, out of an ego space. Mm-hmm. Right. And, right. and then of course the judgment comes from that as well. So, yeah. and Brene Brown has done a lot of really fantastic work, um, around shame and blame. And we could totally do a whole other segment on that as well. But, um, but she basically, I, I like the distinction that she makes there. And I think it's a really great handle, um, to, to use with this idea of working on judgment, like how do we even begin to work on judgment, right? Mm-hmm. So um, uh, one of the things that, that you can do is listen to that internal dialogue and see whether you're using I am statements or whether you're distancing yourself from it. So, um, so I am a mistake is a shame statement. Mm. I made a mistake is not right. Right. So Brene Brown would call it a guilt statement. I say it's an accountability statement, right? Because this, this, I made a mistake is much more empowering. If I made a mistake, then I can make amends. I can learn. I can, and it's in the past. It's past tense, right? right? So whatever's past is past. And, but you still have the opportunity to not make that mistake in the future. Exactly. Right. Whereas I am a mistake that's in present tense and that's, a state of being that's ongoing. Exactly. And yeah. what can I do about that? Yeah. If yeah. I am a mistake. And you know, that's actually been a, a big uh, part of what has helped me. And I I don't know where I got this idea from, if I heard it from somewhere else or if it's something I made up in my imagination. But I I just, and this is, I think it's it's something I created for a story that I'm writing where the the religion of this made up world where I'm setting my story is that there sort of the creation story is that there was God, there was the creator, right? Whatever you want to call it. And then that creator wanted to know everything, all of creation. And so it divided into a bunch of smaller entities that all went out and went into bodies and is experiencing life through all these different you were such a human beings, right? <laughs> and so And you didn't and, even know it. <laughs> and, and so the the when I kind of started thinking about that, I was like, you know, if 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 that's true, right, if you go work with that philosophy, and that means that I am or a piece of me, a piece of God is in me. Mm-hmm. And then, but also in everybody else. Mm-hmm. And everything else. And so when you yeah. start looking at things that way, it means that, one, you have to be kind to yourself because you're Do divine. Do the least of these and you have done it unto me. Right. Mm-hmm. And And then the same thing when you look at other people like, you know, someone that you may have had a disagreement or you don't have very nice feelings towards them. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe you had a, a bad, uh, a relationship in the past and 
you know, of course, those are the people we're most likely to judge and to blame for whatever they did to us. But when you look at those people and even the worst people, I mean, think of whoever is the person you despise the most and, and then go, but wait a minute, if that philosophy is true and it, then that means there's a piece of the divine in them as well. Yeah. And then it just changes the way I've looked at things. And so now I really look at people's behaviors and I see that, oh, that's what they're doing. That's how they're acting right now because from their perception of the world, that's what they think they should do. Right. And and then it's all about Dutch, them. I had a Dutch friend <laughs> that used to always say... Um, so translated, it would be, uh, they also suckled at their mother's breast. Oh, right. right. So yeah. So that really takes it down to the nitty gritty, right? Like this was this darling little baby yeah. that everyone went, oh, to, you know? So, <laughs> right, yeah. um, so taking it down to that, that kind of stuff. And it's kind of at the basis of, uh, what the Kabbalists called Tikkun Olin, this idea that creation was whole and it shattered and that our mission basically is to gather the pieces back together again. Oh, right. So that's a, it's a very, and there's, there's a few other philosophies that see the same way. Eminence that, you know, like the theological term for that is eminence. This idea uh-huh. that there's a little piece of God in everything. Okay. And, and once you, st- which is why, you know, in, in, as you start going further and further east, right, I've heard um, people that are in international business and development complain because the work crew would stop to, like, let a worm pass, right? <laughs> um, so, and he's like, ah, you know, this Dutch guy is just going insane because his crew keeps stopping to do this kind of stuff or move the the, the beetle over somewhere else. And But but it is this, this idea that... Uh, for them, it's it's ancestors, right? Because they mm-hmm. believe in reincarnation. So that could be my grandmother. That could be, you know. Um, so, but but it is having this idea that everything has this spark of divine, and so I need to treat everything like it's God, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, when Jesus said, "Do this unto the least of them," and you have done it unto me, he was pointing towards that, right? This idea of it's everywhere. So, so pay attention, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and from a Jungian perspective, from Carl Jung, like that, what we see in other people is just a reflection of this. And and from that sort of idea, right, that that it's all got this little piece of God, and we're working to bring that all back together again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're going from this perspective that that God is love, and our ultimate our ultimate purpose here is to learn how to love better then when we fall into judgment, we're, we're moving backwards, mm, right? Right. Because yeah. the thing that we're seeing in the other person is just a reflection of something in ourselves. And if we're judging them for it, then it means we're, we're not embracing that or working on it, right? Judgment is a really satisfying in the moment way mm-hmm. to sidestep responsibility and accountability. Okay. So, so let's talk about what it means to, to take responsibility for, for our lives and and the circumstances, circumstances that we find ourselves in. Um, we, we touched on that, um, in our last segment, but 
let's 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 dive on into it a little bit deeper. So um, you had first brought it up in the, in the last segment about this idea of. of of using the judgment as a way to avoid responsibility for the situation that makes you feel upset or powerless. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting that sometimes we take responsibility. There are healthy ways and unhealthy ways to take responsibility for something. So um, actually one of the common things you see all the time in, in movies and in stories is people blaming themselves for something that someone else did like the bad guy did something bad but then the hero feels responsible and they blame themselves and so there's that kind of thing where people Well it's interesting that <laughs> conflation again of blame of blame and responsibility I think this is probably one of the reasons why we have such such a hard time with this in right. our culture is because that we, we equate responsibility to blame Right, and they're not the same thing. How what what do you see as the difference between blame and responsibility? Well, I think with blame there is a sense that that there's something wrong with the person, with you that that you know, the person doing it is somehow less capable or less deserving or not as good of a person. There's <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and and healthy responsibility is when you say, I did this, but that's an isolated action or event. That's not the same as who I am. So it's that separation of this is me and me is a good person. But sometimes because I'm not perfect, I make mistakes and and. And a lot of times those mistakes are things that in the moment I thought was a good idea. And then it's only in re- retrospect that I see, oh, that backfired. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> Don't do that again. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, that's a, I find that that has been a much more healthy way for me to take responsibility in my life is to, and really the only thing I can take responsibility for is my actions and what I actually do and say. But when other people do things, that's what they're doing and saying. And so recognizing that distinction too, and not feeling like you're responsible for say, making sure your kids behave. I mean, yeah, you're supposed to watch over them and and that sort of thing, but they are still responsible for their own behavior. And so sometimes people blur those lines with thinking that they're supposed to control other people or, um, or that other people have a responsibility to do something and, and then they get upset when things don't go the way they want, which is kind of what we're talking about last time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I love that you made the distinction there about actions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times people fall into this place of playing like the emotion police. Mm-hmm. Um, and we blame ourselves for whatever emotions we're having in the moment. And we think that those emotions mean something about who we are. Um, and, 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 and they don't, right? Like the, the emotions aren't what's defining us. They, and I, it, it's it's what we decide to do with those emotions. Yeah. Well, and you know that's a good point because there's I find that there's two di- different kinds of emotions. There's the initial emotional reaction when something happens, and then you have a reaction to it in the moment. That's 
that just sort of is what it is, right? You react in a way that is natural for you to react under those circumstances. But then after a few seconds go by and that initial reaction has happened, then you have a choice about what you're going to say, what you're going to do, how you're going to think about what just happened, how you're choosing to feel about what just happened. And, you know, the great news is that all of that that happens after that initial first few seconds is under your control. And so I think sometimes people don't realize that, you know, they're like, well, so-and-so did this and, and, you know, that just made me so mad. And it's like, it's sort of like when someone cuts you off in traffic and like, it makes me mad, you know, I'm like, oh, you know, for, for that first second. And then I go, you know what? I am not going to carry that emotion around with me for the rest of my commute. So I just consciously say, And that was a jerk thing for them to do, but I'm letting it go. And um, so I find that that is really helpful, too, is to understand that that initial reaction is automatic and it's natural and not to get upset at yourself. Like, I don't blame myself for getting mad when the guy cuts me off because that's a natural reaction to that. But if I were to let that ruin the rest of my day... Then I can look at that and say, well, that was a mistake on my part to carry that around with me all day and let it affect my interactions going on throughout the day. Yeah, I think, and and the 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 role that emotions play in in our ability to um, to let things go, in our ability to release pain and hurt, in our ability to keep ourselves out of these really judgmental places is really powerful and. Um, and depending on what's happened, right. If there's a death in the family, if you're sexually assaulted, if you're right there, if you get, um, jacked over by somebody at work, like there are these, uh, that you thought was a really good friend, Mm -hmm. right. Um, there can be these things that happen to us that will call up all kinds of seemingly conflicting emotions. Um, and our hearts are big enough for those, for those different emotions to, to coexist there. Having a little, having a little trust in that and realizing, okay, my heart is big enough for me to really love this person and be really angry at them and feel betrayed and, Mm. you know, wish it hadn't happened and have this longing for them. I mean, those are the kind of things that are going to come up when there's a betrayal like that, right? Yeah. And just kind of standing back and letting that go through, I know I used to be like checkpoint Charlie <laughs> with my emotions. I had this, this, you know, and I, I came from a very abusive background. So I went into my head. That was a safe place. And mm-hmm. I constructed this mind palace and, and I had this, this very defined view of what I thought was acceptable for myself and others. And, um, and so if any emotion came up, then I was like, who are you? What are you doing here? What do you mean? You know? Right. And so these, you know, and then they would run away. <laughs> so, or I would shove them into a pit, you know? So, um, and once I started recognizing that my emotions don't mean anything about me other than that I'm human, right? Because as I was mm-hmm. judging myself for my own emotional state, right. what kind of person would feel that way when this happens? What kind of person thinks that when this thing happens to their friend? What kind of person, like mm. I was constantly judging myself 
based on these emotional reactions that I had to things. And once I released that and was like, okay, emotions just mean I'm human. That's all that means. Right. Mm -hmm. And allowed them to kind of move through and just do their thing. Um, once I started doing that, then it, it, uh, and, and the trick is not making decisions, Oh, right. When in you're that in that place. space, yeah. right? Just clearing that. And, you know, the head chatter comes up like, ooh, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, you know what? No, th- we're just, we're angry right now. That's fine. That it, yeah. it, All it means is that we're angry right now. That So we're just going to be angry. So I am, I am responsible. I'm not responsible for being angry. I, I, that doesn't deserve any judgment. That's just part of being human. Mm-hmm. I am, however, responsible for what I say in that anger. I am responsible for decisions that I make while I'm in that anger. I'm responsible for views of the world. So those decisions are not just things that I do on the outside. They're, they're frameworks I set up inside my head. Oh, right. Right. Do you allow that, that, uh, circumstance to shape your beliefs and say, well, I'm never doing that again, or I'm never trusting. I'm never going to love again. (laughs) I'm never going to let anyone get close to me again. That's just it. I'm not caring about people. You know, like how many times (laughs) did I do this as a teen and early 20, right? Like, and go to my, to write very dark poetry. Um, but (laughs) so, you know, like, and we make these decisions, right? Mm -hmm. So like, as I watched my, son go through that first big heartbreak uh in in high school and then you know the big one that came like in the middle of college both times I was like don't make any decisions right now I know you're hurting don't make any decisions right now because it it's so much of my personal work has been untying these knots that I tied in myself mm. when I was in a, a place of anger or hopelessness or despair or depression, you know, yeah. like, that's a good point. You just have to let it move through you. And, and, and the thing is that, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, is that when, when you try to keep it suppressed, you try to keep it down, it, it just, it, it just Gains and pressure. I call it emotional kimchi. The stuff smells, you know, really, really does. Yeah, and it's like if you just let it out and let it release in in a safe environment, right, where there's not going to be repercussions. Right, and you're not hurting yourself or others while doing that. Right, then you can let it move through you and then it it passes. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, and I realized with my son, with my younger son, he has these very emotional outbursts. And at first I used to be like, Darren, stop freaking out. Stop, you know, keep your voice down. This isn't worth getting that upset about, you know, things like that. And I finally realized I was, I was doing this because it made me uncomfortable because I'm sure, you know, this as a mom, when when your kid is hurting, you're hurting. Yeah. And so when he would get upset, it would make me upset. So I would telling him to stop being upset because yeah. it was making me upset. So finally, when I realized that that was the dynamic that was going on, I I decided, okay, you know what? Uh, and I recognized something that his emotions would be very intense, but then they'd go. And five minutes later, he's in a different mood. <laughs> right. And so finally I realized if I just don't say anything and just let the mood run its course, everything will be fine. Right. And it just means I have to put up with that uncomfortability a little bit, you know, of being yeah. around him when he's like that. Um, and sometimes it gets to the point where, 
you know, like, he's yelling at other people or it's, it gets to that point where I'm like, okay, now I need to say something. Now I need to say, I know, you know, you're, you're angry, but this but, is not appropriate. Exactly. Right. Yeah, so and you're so validating the emotion and focusing on the action. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like what you said earlier, you can feel however you feel and that's okay. However, you're still responsible yeah, totally. for your actions. And I, I mean, you know, think about how many fights you've had relationships because you were trying to police somebody else's emotions, yeah. right? I don't know how often my office is full of that and how much I did that myself. I don't know. I If I had a dime for every fight I got in because you felt this way, what are you talking about? I didn't say anything. Yo, well, you felt that way. Right. Oh my goodness. Oh, if I had a dime for every time I did that, I would be a millionaire right now. I'm telling you. Like, but you were thinking it. I, I know, right? right? Yeah. Oh, so. Un- I mean, talk about tyranny. Like, yeah, you know what? I was thinking it, but I didn't say it. And that's what counts. <laughs> exactly. Like, talk about tyranny, right? If they're not allowed to feel their own feelings in their own skin and think their own thoughts in Mm -hmm. their own head. Like what freedom do you have? Right. Like, so when I realized like, Oh my gosh, I am such a tyrant. Like this is so unfair, but I was doing it to myself. Yeah. I policed my own emotions. I policed my, you know, and I I, was thinking of the same thing when you were saying that it reminded me of a, a previous relationship that I was in where, I, I I finally realized that was the dynamic that was going on was that if I ever expressed something that, you know, that he didn't like, then he would try and tell me that I was wrong and try to bring me around to his way of thinking and, oh, well, you shouldn't feel that way because blah, blah, blah. And, and finally I got to the point where I was like, I can feel however I want, you know, and, that and I wish right. that you would just accept that that's how I feel. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to like it. You don't have to say that it's logical, but it's how I'm feeling right now. So, right. you know, accept that. Yeah. And then, and just like you said, of course, the reason that person came into my life was because that's how I was treating yeah. myself. Yeah. I was judging he my own was reflecting emotions. Back to you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. So it, it's that like, and I, I think once we get into a more, um, once we get into a healthy, functional relationship with our own emotions and we're not trying to stomp them down, then it makes it a lot easier to take responsibility for our lives, to take accountability for our lives, and and to recognize that a lot of times, um, you know, and there's there's some people that are like, oh, you know, this is just victim blaming, right? When we start, when people start talking about, there was a an article that's um, on our Pinterest page uh, that a lot of people may have seen about, it was an article on grieving and the title was everything does not happen for a reason. Um, and so I wrote a blog piece around it and I've got it on our, uh, on our Pinterest page, the kitchen alchemy, uh, kitchen table alchemy Pinterest page. So check it out. Um, but the, in the article, the guy's really railing about responsibility, being being told to, to take responsibility for things when you're in a space of grieving and seeing it as this kind of victim blaming, right? And And it can definitely be taken there if people are using that because the grief makes them uncomfortable and they don't. Oh, right. And that's really what the article was about, right? Was, um, 
I think that was the gist of what he was trying to get to. I disagreed mm-hmm. with the way some of the things that he put next to each other, but um, but yeah, like we we end up not being good friends, good witnesses, good um, helpmates, good humans with with each other, right? In those moments when people when we need each other the most, because those emotions make us uncomfortable. Right. Right. We've been spending so much time suppressing that in ourselves Mm -hmm. that when someone else gets to a space of trying to feel it, their emotions come to the surface, start making our emotions come to the surface and we want to shut the whole thing down. Yeah. Right. So, so we end up sabotaging our relationships in a lot of ways, but that, that responsibility isn't, um, you know, I'm, I'm not responsible for having been raped. That's my rapist responsibility, right? My responsibility is how there's all those emotions that happen around that. And not just in the moment, there's a numbness in the moment, right? But it's, it's anything coming up over, over decades afterwards. But, um, but my responsibility comes with how I'm going to allow that to influence the way I see the world, right? Am I going to punish all men? Because this man did something terrible to me, right? Is is my partner now going to have to pay the price because I've been hurt that way? That's my responsibility, right? The, the My partner now does not do those things, right? I'm <laughs> right. in a really fantastic relationship. How unfair to him to pay the price for this thing, right? right. So so am I, I'm responsible for, for how I choose to continue to see that, how I let it color the way that I see relationships, how how um, willing I'm I am to be to be open and intimate and authentic and real with the people that are close to me. Those are all decisions I've made as as a result of that, and those are the things I'm responsible for. Mm-hmm. And I and I I carry the weight of that also, right? So so then it gets really unfair if I've put all these walls up and I have all these judgments and ideas about the nature of all men mm-hmm. because of these experiences that I've had and then get mad because they won't climb the walls and cut through <laughs> right. the brambles and slay the dragon to come to come be next right. to me. You know what I right. mean? Like, no, I need to lower the drawbridge right. and get the crocodiles out of the, the mode. Because you're the only one who can slay that dragon anyway. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've had a great discussion today talking about blame and judgment and responsibility and ways to be more health, healthy in in the way that we talk to ourselves and the way that we look at other people. So now let's get practical. What are some things that people can do in their daily lives going forward to implement what we've talked about here today? Well, uh you know, as we know, like it's going to have to start from within. Um, and so one of the first things I would suggest is really paying attention to those, I, those I am statements versus the I did statements, um, really listening for those I am statements. And when you hear them, I am a mistake. I am a screw up. I'm worthless. I'm, I'm not smart st- enough. I'm stupid, whatever it is. Right. Yeah. Um, to when you hear that I am statement to go wait a second no I'm not a mistake I made a mistake 
right? I'm right. not stupid. I did something stupid, right? So, so to move that from a state of being, which is really grounded in that shame, um, and there's nothing you can do about it if you are that thing, um, to something that you did, which you can do something about and you can learn from and you can change. Um, so that really, really paying attention to that. And so that's going to be tuning you into that internal dialogue a little bit more. And as that dialogue starts coming up, you'll notice this really critical, you know, it's called the critical parent voice, right? That's always like, you piece of crap, you know? Mm -hmm. And so when that starts coming up, rather than screaming back at it, right? No, you're wrong. Oh, you think I'm a piece of crap? You're a piece of crap. You know, you think (laughs) you're so great. Um, Like rather than, because then you, that what you resist persists kind of thing, right? You're, Mm -hmm. you're feeding that critical energy in that space, right? You want less critical stuff going on in your head and throwing it back. It's not going to make it less critical. It's just more, you you know, so, so if you can imagine that critical parent, like if, or that critical nasty voice in your head, if it, imagine that it was somebody that you really respect and admire, right? Maybe a favorite great aunt or great uncle, um, that you really, really love and you, you know, they mean well, but you know, they're kind of rough around the edges or whatever. So if you can imagine that it's like this, this family member that you really, this elder that you really love and admire, and they say this nasty thing, like, you're so stupid. You always do this, right. Um, to come in as your rational adult self now and be like, well, is that fair? I mean, do they always do that? Because just last week, this happened. So I don't think I always do that. Right. So if you're coming in, as that, that rational, you've now added a third voice between the sort of critical parent and the scared or wounded child. And that third adult voice begins to shift that dynamic Mm -hmm. ever so, ever so slowly. And you'll start seeing less and less power coming from that critical place. And, you know, you just reminded me of something uh, that I now do on a daily basis that I learned from you, actually, a while back, which is uh, writing down something every day that I'm grateful for and something that where I'm acknowledging myself for something good that I did. And, and it could be something externally or it could be something internally where, like, oh, I recognize when I was making that I am statement and I changed it. And so if you can catch yourself doing those things, it helps reinforce it. And, and like you said, the first step is just recognizing that you're doing it in the first place and catching the dialogue in your head and what's going on, because then you can actually do something about it. But if you're not even aware that you have this negative self-talk going, then, you know, there's yeah. nothing you can do. So that's the first step. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. There's one of my favorite quotes, um, is from Byron Katie and it says the problem with the mind is that it believes what it thinks. <laughs> I love this. And I'll say that again. The problem with the mind is that it believes what it thinks. You know, so as soon as we wake up to that idea and start realizing that just because it goes across my head does not mean that it's truth, you right. know, um, and then start kind of paying attention to what's what's running across there, and if, if and it's then a, realizing that you can rewrite it. Yes, exactly. So that's that practice of the I am. So uh, this week, really pay attention to those I am those nasty I am statements, and and flip them into an I did statement and put that distance. 
Thanks so much for joining us today. Um, well, there certainly is a lot to think about here, so we encourage you as you're engaging with those around you and watching the news, watching what comes across your feed, to watch that through the lenses that we've talked about today, and then join us around the digital campfire. Uh, leave comments below or go onto the Facebook page, Kitchen Table Alchemy. Just send a request in to uh, join the group, and let's keep the conversation going. Thanks.